Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. Elizabeth Jameson lost many of the abilities that we take for granted in life. And yet she says she loves her life and has contributed immensely in terms of her art, her advocacy, and her wisdom, which she shares so generously with the world. In this episode, it was my pleasure to spend time with Elizabeth Jameson. Elizabeth Jameson, I'm thrilled to be speaking with you today. You're very welcome to the show. And to anyone listening to this episode of the podcast, they'll realize that I'm talking to somebody who's really quite badly affected by their illness. And I wanted to start there. Tell us about this. On your worst day, what is this like? Oh my God. Um, like today, um, I'm a quadriplegic. I got my hair cut today and I was at the hair beauty salon and I didn't have the voice to tell the beautician what I wanted to do. So my assistant talked generally about what I wanted. She laughed. And then the beautician said, well, I'm going to cut your hair the way I want to cut it. I said, well, I don't know. Because I, I, my voice goes up and down, in and out, depending on the strength of my pulmonary muscles. And it was so frustrating because I wanted to articulate what I want. Like a lot of people, I'm quite vain. And because I'm a quadriplegic, I want to look good. I want a good haircut. I'm so vain. And in fact, I couldn't explain what I wanted. It was so frustrating. And the beautician, instead of really answering what I wanted, she filled them in what she thought I wanted. It just drove me nuts. But that's the way it is. And my other beautician wanted to charge me a lot more money to get my hair cut because it took so damn long to wash my hair. And he didn't want to take the time. So he said he'd cut me, cut my hair if I wash my hair beforehand and come with my hair wet. But he doesn't tell other clients that. And he just made me feel just horrible. And my wonderful assistant told me, don't go there again because he doesn't treat me, teach me very nicely. Not only that, he discriminates against me, which I would never have taught said that to him, but just pissed me off that he said, you you have to pay more and I have to wash my hair at my home. Just, just irritated me. But that's what I have to do is just swallow the fact that people don't know how to treat people who are that disabled. So I'm a quadriplegic and I, I have progressive MS which means I'm slowly getting ever so lightly worse. My latest episode, I like to think of as my current journey in my episode, is lack of voice. I have voice, like right now I'm talking. But in order for me to talk, I have to have a lot of chocolate. Really do have to have chocolate because the caffeine helps me talk. And and, uh, caffeine from coffee. So I I fortify myself 
with chocolate and coffee, and now I'm able to talk. But before I went to get my hair cut, I hadn't done that, so I didn't have voice. So when you see someone like me, I'm a, a interesting looking person, but I'm I have my hands folded against my lap, and I look somewhat normal, except I'm in a wheelchair. But my arms are oddly folded because I no use of my hands. And then if I can't speak, they immediately think, oh, she doesn't have mental capacities. So I'm treated like this cute little thing and like they want to pat my head or God bless you. Oh, oh, God bless you. And they'll talk to my assistant, say, what What does the poor thing want? I'm going, well, I'm not a poor thing. I'm writing an article. I'm doing lots of other things. I'm not a poor thing. But I don't say that because they're wonderful people. But on the other hand, I feel like uh, I want to feel powerful. Instead, I feel like I'm treated at times like someone who really doesn't have a cock cognitive abilities is my speech and the fact I'm in a wheelchair. So that's my tirade. But it's what I what I found interesting about my MS. I was totally healthy when I got MS. I was a lawyer, I was a courtroom lawyer. I never was sick a day in my life. And all of a sudden I got MS. And I was not attuned to disability rights. I wasn't comfortable with people who were disabled. They were sort of odd to me, and I was sort of hid because I didn't know how to act. So when people are awkward with me, I feel like, oh, my God, that's me. That's okay. I always want to tell people, it's okay. It was the same way. I won't bite you. It's okay. You can be afraid of me, but... I really, I, if you want, I'd love to talk to you about your day. It's, I just feel so, I have a duty to tell people, just relax, I'm just a normal human being. I look really disabled, but I am, but I'm okay and you're okay. Let's have a nice conversation. And the other thing, people are, people with children, Always, I shouldn't say always, sometimes tell them, don't don't approach her. And they hide their kids from me. And I th- some of it is because they're awkward. They don't know whether I'm being, a f- maybe my kids would offend, offend me or they don't know what, but there's, they don't know how to approach me. So they hide their kids from me. So... God forbid the kids would come up with to me and ask me questions. And I think, God, it's so important that to teach kids that we're okay, that you don't have to hide, hide from us. Cause, and I love it when kids approach me, because kids, depending on their age, ask the most horrible questions. They say, you look really ugly. You look weird. Why Why your hands the way they are? And I just love it. And I laugh and we talk and I said, well, I have 
I know I look weird, but I'm a really good swimmer. I used to be a great swimmer. I use are you a swimmer or do you like skateboarding? And so we have great talks and I love kids because they don't pretend I'm normal. They say, you're not normal. I go, yeah, I am. I am not normal. You're right. What do you think about that? Or I ride incredible sexy wheelchair. Do you want to play with my wheelchair? And and then we we talk about wheelchairs and I think it's important that kids can say honestly what they're what they see, which is I'm weird, I am disabled, whatever that means. And I'm okay, okay my disability. We live in a really difficult world at a very difficult time, Elizabeth, because we're used to instant answers to questions. Or if you send somebody a question online, if they don't reply within 30 seconds, as far as they're concerned, you've ghosted them. And that appears to be the way that we interact with each other. I'm talking now as a clinician, I find this happening even in the doctor interaction. You ask a patient a question, you know, have you got this symptom? Yes or no? And they go on, they rabbit on about things and you go, is it yes or is it no? And the impatience begins to translate. I hope I I don't do that, but I know clinicians who do that. We need to slow down in order to give somebody else the opportunity to express themselves in terms of, this is the way I want my haircut. This is who I am. This is what I like to do and give them the time to do We don't have the time to do that. How do you think we can make that transition? How do you think we can change the way we interact so that we do give you the opportunity? How could your hairdresser have fixed this today? I have no idea. I do have a hard time articulating. I have no idea what she could have done. She obviously wasn't that comfortable with me because I'm a, a quadriplegic and, and I my hands are weird and I don't know what the poor thing. I really liked her. I wasn't offended. I was just sad that I couldn't really articulate what I wanted. So I, I just don't know what what one can do. I'm a hard nut to crack with people are not used to people with lots of disabilities. You are, but the loss isn't yours, the loss is ours, those of us who interact with you and don't give you the opportunity to say what you have to say, because you have a lot to say. You've brought a lot into the world. Talk a little bit about that. What is it that you've, you were a lawyer, you were a courtroom lawyer. What happened after that and how have you continued to create what you've done? Well, one thing I want to say I love my life. I truly love my life. And I know you told me, don't be upbeat the whole time. Talk the real, the real thing. We're ready for it. Just hit, hit us with the depression of this horrible illness. And I'm willing to do that because I can tr- do that. But really, I'm so damn happy. and. Delighted and grateful. I'm so grateful that I live such a wonderful life. I'm also painfully aware that I'm 
blessed to have money. I'm living a nice middle-class life. I have great health insurance. I have a wonderful spouse and kids who love me. And I feel so duty-bound to make policy people aware that people with MS who are poor don't have adequate health insurance, don't have a great life. They have a really awful life, actually. There's a woman I know in Seattle who's about my level of disability. She's a physician. She's a practicing physician all life until she got that level of disability. She's a nursing home. God, the thought of being a nursing home to me sounds so depressing. She didn't have money. She was very, didn't have savings. She was divorced. So I feel so blessed to have the ability to say, I love my life. You're right. And I can see it written on your face and I see it in your surroundings. You are clearly happy in a whole lot of ways, albeit that there are occasions when you're furious with how the world responds to you. And that's very understandable. But for many people in the world with this condition, you're right. It isn't like that. They find that their life goes on a spiral downwards so that they are unable to get the very basic things that you take for granted. Where to from here for them and for the community that has this condition and other conditions where people are so disabled? What what a difficult question. Because we're human beings, and every human being is going to be disabled, or are disabled, or their parents are disabled, or have died, or they have kids who have disability. So, I mean, denying benefits to people with multiple sclerosis, which is a long-term and can be very exceedingly expensive disease, well, it, it's by the luck of the draw, you don't have it, or you don't have asthma or diabetes. I mean, it's part of being human. You've not sat down and said, okay, I'm now disabled, I'm not going to do anything more. You've gone on, I know you've gone on to make major contributions in all kinds of ways. Talk a little bit about that. How has your life unfolded since you've had MS? Well, when I had MS, I was a lawyer and was actively involved in civil rights law, uh, basically children in jails and prisons. I traveled all over the country. And then with as my MS progressed, I had really difficult talking as well as I wanted to. Because I was a lawyer, I was I really proud of myself and being an expert orals with oral skills. And with MS, you you lose that word finding ability. So I decided I don't want to be lawyer anymore. And I went, oh my God, what am I going to be if I'm not going to be a lawyer? Because I really wanted, ever since I was really young, to change the world or to be of service. And I, by happenstance, found out I was an artist, good artist. I know good artist, but I had some artistic skills. Someone invited me to their 
in neighborhood art class. And I loved it. Absolutely fell in love. And I went went to university and art school and because I'm ambitious. And I was thrilled to find something that I loved. But it didn't fulfill me because I wanted to do something to help change the world for people who are generally invisible. People are poor and un- underrepresented. And so I thought, what can I do? And I decided to term what I did as a public interest artist. What I want to do is what I was avoiding. That was my MRIs. Because I had so many MRIs. And they were, to me, ugly. Didn't really understand them. But they were, there was copies of my brain. And I thought, that's my, my brain, that's sacred imagery. And, but it's ugly black and white images. And so I spent two years trying to figure out what could I do, take ownership of clinical data and turn it into reflection of my, my own brain, myself. So that's what I did for my four years, I used solar etching, and I etched my brain, my actual MRIs, etched them in the sun, and then I used thick, gooey, kind of luscious printing ink, and did lots of images of the brain. And I got to color my brain the way I wanted to color my brain, what colors I thought were was me, whatever that meant. And I really felt I could do something to really acknowledge the sacredness of the brain because that's the most incredible part of, the, of our body for me is the brain, is that where our thoughts come from, our feelings, our emotions. And so I really took a lot of time think about, wow, and how can I help other patients, whether brain tumors or MS, MS for sure, not everyone, but most people with MS have MRIs, brain tumors for sure, and all the other conditions involving the brain. And I find more, more people not with MS but with people with strokes or ALS, wide range of issues really are gravitating to my etchings. So it makes me feel wonderful that I can add some positivity to this horrible scientific images. So that's what I felt. That's what I really was thrilled to contribute that to my art. So it made me not think about that time. I went into my wheelchair from a walker to, I went from a cane to a walker to a scooter, various types of wheelchairs. And at that time I was doing the brain, the MRIs. So I took my mind off of the fact, oh my God, I'm going to be in a wheelchair. What does that mean? And I said, well, I'm doing the brain. 
in art, then there's always been my another adventure is that my disease kept progressing and I lost the use very gradually, the use of my arms, fingers, hands. So I could no longer feed myself. Couldn't, I really couldn't do anything. I mean, it really meant loss of autonomy, loss of freedom. And I try not to be loss of identity. And I thought, well, if I can't do art anymore, which I absolutely could not, that I could think of is I thought, well, I can write. So then I'm, I'm currently writing. So I try to deal with what does it mean to be a person without arms and legs? What have I learned from that? What does it mean that that could be transferable to someone who's not disabled? If I learn any wisdom, or maybe not probably, I'm not sure I have any wisdom, but thoughts about what does it mean for food. I wrote an article about food and to see, well, what have I learned about food and marriage being uh, quadriplegic? And I and I've had numbers of comments from people who don't have disability who thought, boy, it was interesting what what they've learned from my unique experiences. And I'm doing another one about the day I lost, gave up the use of my car. I refused not to drive, even though I couldn't really drive. It was wrong that I kept driving. I was so double-headed, stupid, stubborn. I was going to keep driving, and I was losing my legs. But I kept using my arms to move my left leg to the brake pedal. It was my assistant's laughing. People were thought it was crazy, and it was crazy, but I was stubborn, and so I would drive until I had an accident, and I crashed into my garage with my dog. My assistant's keeping me honest. She's telling me, don't lie. My dog really got hurt by this quote-unquote accident in my garage, and I never thought about driving again. I turned in the keys to my husband, and that that was really a blow. So anyway, then I'm now I'm writing every day. I think about writing every day. I um, procrastinate every day. I eat more chocolate, thinking I should have written more today, but I, I'm working on a lot of publications who I, I have to see if they agree to publish my articles. But um, And the other thing I'm doing, which I love, I'm, it's an absolute dream of mine, is to have a discussion about the nitty-gritty of MS, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I'm now doing it. I hope it's good. We have five episodes. We have a what I call a Zoom cast, where there are three of us across the country who know, only know each other via Zoom. And 
we have met randomly one man who I found out about in Instagram, loved his Instagram messages. I said, hey, Kyle, want to be on a program with me? He said, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. And the other woman, same thing, she's local, San Francisco, and she's a ballet dancer, lost ability to dance. So we, I thought this boy would be great. She's a black. It was great to have her not white perspective, for sure. She's black and proud. And boy, am I glad she's, I'm so blessed. Bless she's part of our program. And another woman in Boston who's actually physician with MS who traditionally didn't like letting people know she had MS, would not come on the program unless it was clear she was not an expert. She was there just as a humble patient. So don't ever refer to her as a doctor. And she's delightful. So the the four of us meet once a week. And we have, on YouTube, have discussions. We really try to talk about the real, the sorrows and what's good and bad about MS. So I'm thrilled that we've been able to do that. So I hope we can continue to do that. We all hope so, Elizabeth. Elizabeth Jameson, you are the most courageous woman I know. And you're not just courageous because of what you do, but because you are so breathtakingly honest about what it is like to have a condition that limits you, and yet you accept it and you have grown with it. I very much hope we'll have another conversation very soon. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. The Health Design Podcast, sponsored by the Patient and Physician Advocacy Alliance. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.